0: Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. He's going to start this morning with the most basic, necessary uh, doctrine that we believe in, which is salvation. And so I, you go, well, I'm already saved. I don't need to know about salvation. Yeah, you do because you need to know what's happened to you and what you can uh, help others find. And so I encourage you to listen closely. So this is Bob Ely. This is my dad, and he's going to uh, talk to us about salvation while you stuff your face. Well, I told uh, Pastor Steve we could have called it uh, Belief and Brunch, and he said it would be better to call it Bible and Biscuits. But uh, uh, anyway, we we are uh, thrilled to be here and to share the Word of God with you this morning. Doctrine, the last few years that particular word doctrine has gotten a bad rap, even among church and religious folks. Most of the people you talk to say, I don't want your doctrine or I don't want to be indoctrinated. In fact, they took a survey in America and 93% of people surveyed said that they determined their own code for what's right and wrong and this was their statement no church no Pope is going to tell me what to do and yet on the other hand 52% of those surveys said that they believe that the Bible has the right to tell what is right and wrong but only 37% accept it 84% of those surveys said they break the rules of the church And only 13% believe in all the Ten Commandments. I guess they've become the Ten Suggestions. So what we need to do first is simply to define doctrine. It's not a bad word. The word doctrine simply means the teaching, the body of truth. It is that body of truth gained through what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught, what the Bible says. So your doctrine is simply the body, the sum total of what you believe is the truth. And to indoctrinate simply means to teach that body of truth so that you can learn. Doctrine is the foundation or the basic truths of the understanding of our faith. And everyone has doctrine, whether it's an organization or a church or you as an individual. For the moment you say, God is love. That's doctrine. In fact, one theologian was asked, what's the most profound doctrine you've ever learned? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In that simple song, there's doctrine. In fact, the church has always believed in doctrine, and in the original uh, uh, church, it was called the Apostles' Creed. Now, tradition and myth tells us that the Apostles' Creed was written 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. Well, it actually came into existence about 215 A.D. And it's been rewritten many times, but this is the basic Apostles' Creed that nearly all Christian churches believe in. And it goes like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord That is the what we call the Apostles' Creed. And yet the Scripture has much to say about doctrine. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, it said you have obeyed from your heart that doctrine that was delivered unto you. And of course the one that Pastor Steve quoted in the book of Acts. After 3,000 were converted on the day of Pentecost, they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and fellowship uh, with one another. Can you imagine that? Imagine after... Being 120, and the next day you have 3,000 more, it was hard to find a parking space for your camel. Kind of like crowded in here today. And so we believe as a church in a basic doctrine. We call them the cardinal doctrines. They're five in number. Salvation, sanctification, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, divine healing, and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go through these doctrines based on what we call our articles of faith. And we're going to start... With salvation because salvation is the basic and to understand salvation you have to go back to the beginning Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul because salvation begins with creation God created man in his own image He took that lifeless lump of clay and the Bible said he breathed into it the breath of life and man became a living soul. He stamped man with divinity. He put a seed of himself in man so that man becomes the only part of creation that can contain God. Uh, You people that hug trees, I hate to tell you this, but God doesn't live in a tree. And he's not in the lake and he's not in the rock. He created them, but he's not in them. Because man is the only part of his creation that could contain God. God stamped him with a part of himself. In fact, when it says living soul, it it uses a Hebrew word, nephah or nephash, which literally means your neck, which is symbolic of your throat or your appetite. So it says that God created man with an appetite for God and that only God could satisfy. God is love. That's the essence of who He is. So He created us to love so that we might know God and enjoy His presence forevermore. So when we say we're created in the image of God, it means that we are a physical being. It means we are an emotional being with feelings. It means that we are an intellectual or rational being. It means that we're a social being. That's why we're together. It means that we are a moral being. That we have the right to choose and make our own decisions. And then we suffer the consequences or the rewards of those choices. God created us with his image. And most of all, we are a spiritual being. We were created to contain God, to be in fellowship with the one who created us, to know him and to enjoy his presence forevermore. That's what creation was about. But then something happened and we call that the curse. And we can read it, and I don't have time to read it all, but in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to, to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I want you to hear that. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? We were created in his image to be in constant fellowship with him, to love him, to enjoy his presence. And Satan, and we don't have time to go into this, we don't have time to go into, he was an archangel and he fell and what. you know that part of the story. But Satan, using the subtleness of the servant, serpent, came into the garden and questioned God's love. Is he really loving and kind and benevolent? Does he really care about you as creation? Or has he withheld something from you? Did he not say that you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He's withholding something from you, and therefore he is not good, kind, or loving enough and Eve was tempted she saw the tree that it was pleasant to the eyes and that it was good to the taste and it would be good for food and it would make her wise she was tempted and did eat but not Adam he saw the result of her choice and he chose to disobey God and when he did sin came into the world And because of sin, death. And death passed upon every one of us because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've each one turned to our own way. We have misstepped and missed the mark. And because of sin, there was this loss of innocency. All of a sudden, man knows that he is naked. He didn't know that before he disobeyed God. And he feels guilt and shame. And there's a loss of love. Instead of being in relationship with God, he is now fearful and he hides himself from the presence of the one that created him to be in fellowship with God. Not only is he afraid, but there's a loss of fellowship. He finds that God is no longer his friend, but man feels like a fugitive. And he's hiding from God. And there was this loss of spiritual life. For the Bible said in the day that you do this you will die. Not physically die right then. But you will find yourself separated from God. For that's what sin does. And that's what sin is. Sin is the glory of God not honored. The holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and the person of God not loved. Sin is rebellion against the law of God and the rejection of the lawgiver. Sin is not just breaking God's law, but sin is breaking God's heart. And because of that, man felt this separation. He was created to be with God. God would come and walk with him in the cool, uh, uh, the evening breeze of the garden. And now because of his sin and disobedience, he is afraid. He is hiding himself. He is cast out and barred from the garden. He knows separation. For the Lord said, if you do this, you will die. And in the Hebrew, the term says, in dying, you will die. You will live physically. But all along living physically, you will be separated from God. God's hand is not short that he cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But it is our sin that separates between us and our God. And man found himself not only separated from the presence of God spiritually, but now physically because he is cast out of that garden enclosure. And there is the angel with a flaming sword. Justice, truth, barring the way. Man cannot get back in that enclosure lest he eat of the tree of life and live forever in that separated state. And so he's cast out. But with the sin came the search. God initiated it. He knows what man has done but he comes into that garden enclosure and he says, Adam, where are you? Not physically but in your relationship with me. What is it that you have now done? And God began this search to find fallen man and to bring him back to himself. And because of sin, we felt emptiness, brokenness, separation. We're not whole. Our thirst, our appetite is not quenched because we're out of relationship with the one that created us in in his own image. And so we began to try to find something that would fill this void and would satisfy our thirst. So we tried props. We call them idols. Only problem with idols, they have no eyes to see, no ears to hear, and no hearts to feel. And when idols didn't work, we tried purpose. If I can sign some cause... And the thermometer goes over the top and our hearts are still just as empty. And then we tried passion, physical gratification. If there's some way we can satisfy all the physical desirings of our life, we'll be full and satisfied. And so we seek high after high after high. And when the pleasure's gone, we're still empty. That's why us chocoholics... Don't eat one piece, we eat the whole box. And it's medically proven now because the moment you bite down on a piece of chocolate there is released an enzyme in your mouth that goes to the pleasure center of your brain and the moment you bite into that chocolate you feel instantaneous pleasure. So we don't eat one, we eat them all. But when all that sensation is gone all we have are large stomachs and fat thighs and we're not satisfied. And then we try possessions. If we can just heap things into our life, cars and houses and clothes and designers and iPads and iPods and I everything. (laughs) And how empty life is when it's just filled with things. And then we try philosophy, or we call it religion. Because you see, religion is man reaching up to God. But that's not salvation. Salvation is God reaching down to man? And so when all that curse that brought sin and separation and so, we needed a cure, we needed something to save us. That's why we use the word. That's what it does. It saves us from our own sins, saves us from being separated from God, brings us back into relationship with the one who created us. It saves us from the fall and from the curse. And there was something temporary. Don't you remember immediately man found himself naked and he tried to take fig leaves and sew them together and make him an apron. But by the works of your own hands you can never hide your disobedience. And so what did God do? He killed some animals. And he took the skins of those animals and provided a temporary covering for man's disobedience. Now he said, that's not going to ultimately save you, but temporarily it'll help. And he gave Adam and Eve two things that would temporarily help. He said to Eve, you will conceive children. And in the sorrow of childbirth, there will be a sense of satisfaction that you can't get anywhere else except from that. But it won't save you. It'll help. And man, from now on the ground is cursed because of your disobedience and you will labor in the ground and you will toil in the sweat of your own brow. But out of work you'll sense some satisfaction. But it won't save you. But one day God said, I will send the seed of woman and the seed of woman will bruise the head of the servant serpent and bring salvation so in the Old Testament it was the sacrificial system you know they would bring lambs and rams and goats and heifers and turtle doves and and through the shedding of the blood of those animals there was a temporary covering for their sin but the problem with that sacrificial system was it didn't last they had a great day of atonement at one month with God but only the high priest could come into the presence of God And he only that one time a year and he was afraid for his own life and he had a blood sacrifice for himself and and, and the sins of the nation and there were two goats, one that was slain and one that was let go in the wilderness. But the problem was they had to do it over and over, year after year after year because it simply covered the sins for a moment. It didn't do away with them. But when you come to the New Testament, all that symbolism and all that shadow becomes reality. And when you come to the New Testament, it says, And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the fullness of the time, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He sent the seed of woman. John said the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as in the only begotten of the Father full of grace and full of truth he was the seed of woman he was the seed of Abraham he was the seed of David he is God's lamb John says that takes away the sin of the world it wasn't plan B it was plan A God knew man would make the wrong choice but he created him anyway So that man would choose in the moralness of the way God created him to love him out of his own heart without coercion. He could have made us like angels where all we had to do was obey God. He could have made you a robot, but he didn't. He wanted you to choose. And he knew you would not choose. And so the Bible says before the foundation of the world, Jesus was already slain. It wasn't plan B. It was plan A. The Word was made flesh flesh. He is God's lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And so in the book of Romans chapter 5, Paul tries to explain this. And he explains it like this. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him whatever. God stood alongside of us with his love. God introduced us to what love is. God handed his love to over to us while we were yet sinners. Now that we're set right with God by the means of the sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there's no longer question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of His Son, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we're no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. But one man said yes to God and put many people in the right. And that's why Jesus came. Without the shedding of blood, there is no sin. or There is no forgiveness, sacrifice for sin. Without the shedding of the blood of the lamb. He that knew no sin became sin for us. He took my sins out of the way, nailed it to his own cross. He became a curse for me, for cursed is everyone that hangs on the cross. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. When he died, he didn't die for him, he died for me. He died for you. He became the consummate obedient servant to God his Father and he became the propitiation for my sins, which is a big word that means he turned aside the wrath of God. All the judicial and wrath and punishment of God that was up on us because of sin, Jesus took that on the cross, and we're redeemed not by corruptible things, but by the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. We're not redeemed by silver and gold or the works of men's hands, but we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. And it is guaranteed because he didn't stay in that tomb. But he was resurrected in the newness of life. Is it any wonder at that climactic moment on the cross he could look out through eternity, not only eternity past but eternity future and he could shout from that cross, it is finished. It's done. It's paid in full. And he gave up the ghost and died, buried but resurrected in the newness of life. And so he alone fills that void. I'm going to close by by bringing the New Testament example. There's only one chapter that really explains it. And that's Luke chapter 15. When Jesus gave you three parables, which is one story. For a man had lost one sheep out of a hundred. And a woman had lost one coin out of ten. And a father had lost one son out of two. And in that parable, he shows you salvation. Because we're saved by the shepherd, the son. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He searches us when we're lost. Even though ninety and nine are safe in the fold, he will go anywhere and traverse any distance and fight any enemy to find that one lost sheep. And he did it on the cross so that he can put that sheep on his shoulder and bring him back to the fold. And then we're saved by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit because you can't come to God unless God draws you. But just like that lady that takes the broom and rearranges the furniture and sweeps the house until she finds that one lost coin, that's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Because he orders your life by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring you to a position where he can rearrange the furniture of your own decisions and sweep out the cobwebs of your disobedience and bring you to the understanding God loved you in the beginning and he loves you right now. And he wants to save you. But he didn't just save you by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. He saved you because of the compassion of a father. You know what that young boy did? He dissed his father. You know what he said to him? I want my part of the inheritance right now. Do you know what that means in the Jewish economy? The only way you get your part of the inheritance is if dad dies. So you know what he said to his dad? I wish you were dead. That was disrespect. Dis. Do you know what the penalty of that was under the law? The elders of the city would take the son that was disrespectful, carry him to the gates of the city and stone him with stones until he died. Most young people probably ought to be glad that you don't live under the law anymore. And so he takes his part of the inheritance, just like we did. Separated from the love of his father. Goes into the far country, spends it in riotous living. And he has lots of fun until the funds fade. The inheritance is gone. The family ring is hot. And he's in the hog field of his own making wanting to fill his belly with the husk that the hogs did eat. That's where we were. But the Bible said he came to himself. I don't know if he saw his reflection in one of those mud holes or what, but all of a sudden he realized he's not in a palace. He's in a pig pen. The smell is not Chanel number 5. And he's there by his own choice. And then he remembered in my father's house even the servants fare better than I do and I'm perishing with hunger and I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I severed that relationship. Would you hire me on as a hired man? But he forgot about something. The father had been at home growing the corn and feeding the calf because one day his son's going to come back. And the Bible said when the boy was a great way off, his father saw him. must have been his father was looking for him. And his father ran. See, we don't don't understand. You know where the boy's coming? To the gates of the city. You know where the elders sat? At the gates of the city. If they see the boy first, you know what the law said? They're going to grab him and they're going to stone him and the father's got to get there first and so the Bible said the father ran and in the Hebrew economy when the father or a man pulled his robe up above his ankle in the eyes of the community he was naked and the old man became a spectacle he pulled his robe up as far as the elders are concerned they can't see the boy anymore they see that naked old man that's become a spectacle that's what God did for you he became a curse a spectacle, why? so that he could outrun the law so he could get to you before the law got to you he diverted the curse of the law so that he could embrace you with the compassion and the love of God and he embraced that boy if he would turned his back, the son's dead but he embraces him and the son said, wait dad it's what repentance is, I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Did you know he never did get out and make me a hired servant? Because the son, the father wasn't looking for servants. He's looking for sons to come back into relationship. And you know what he did? He said, you were lost. You're saved. You're found. You were dead. But you're alive. And he put a robe of righteousness on. Salvation is the gift of God. You can't earn it. It's imputed because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. He wrapped him with rightness with God. He put a ring of authority back on his finger. He's adopted into the family. He put shoes of responsibility on his feet. And he said, go kill the calf. We're going to rejoice. And that's what salvation is. And because of what he did for us, then the Bible says everything has become... We've been washed... We're saved through the washing of regeneration by the Holy Ghost. We've been justified just as if we've never been a sin. We have been regenerated, born again. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We have access to God the Father. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. We're accepted in the beloved. We have been made one with the Father again. We were lost, but now we're found. Everything that the first Adam lost, the second Adam who is the Lord from heaven, restored. And so now... Because we've been embraced by His love and have accepted Christ as our Savior. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. I have a new allegiance. I've got a new family. I've got a new mind. It's the mind of Christ. I've got a new peace. It passes all understanding. I've got a new joy. It's unspeakable. I have a a new love. It's been shed abroad by the Holy Spirit in my heart. Everything about me is new. It's just as if I never sinned. The slate is clean. And that's exactly what he did for you through salvation. And I close by telling you it was explained best in the book of Psalms chapter 85 where it says and mercy and truth have met together and righteousness or rightness and peace have kissed or embraced now what in the world does that mean well when we last saw man in Genesis truth and justice has a flaming sword and it's barring man From the presence of the one that created him. But huddled at that gate to the garden in Genesis is mercy. And mercy means God's steadfast love. And behind mercy is grace. And behind grace is peace. But they can't touch man. Because justice and truth bar the way. And mercy looks at justice and truth and says... What's the price? What's the cost? What do I have to pay to open the door? And justice looks at God's steadfast love and says, Blood. It's going to take blood. And mercy looks at justice and says, I'll pay. Then fast forward. 4,000 years. And justice with the flaming sword is standing on a hillside outside of Jerusalem looking at mercy and saying, where is the cost? Where is the price? Where is the sacrifice? And mercy says, justice, look at the bottom of yonder hill and you'll see that his countenance is marred and there's a crown of thorns upon his brow and stripes on his back. And he's bearing not only the physical weight of a cross, but the sins of the entire world and his whole countenance and vestige is marred greater than any man has ever been marred. And justice, there's the price, there's the cost. Watch him as he climbs the hill. Watch him as they nail him to the cross. Watch as the earth turns dark and hear him say, it's enough, it's finished. And justice says, I accept And the moment justice says I accept the veil that separated man from the presence of God is ripped from the top to the bottom and all of a sudden mercy and love comes rushing in and grace embraces fallen man and and rightness and peace have met together and embraced and we're saved. And the song says when I couldn't get to where he was. Mercy came running to me. We're going to play it, but just, I want to, I want to read it. Once there was a holy place, evidence of God's embrace, and I can also most see mercy's face pressed against the veil. Looking down with longing eyes, mercy must have realized that once his blood was sacrificed, freedom would prevail. And as the sky drew dark and the earth began to shake, with justice no longer in the way, mercy came running like a prisoner set free, past all my failures to the point of my need, when the sin that I carried was all I could see, and when I could not reach mercy, mercy came running to me. Once there was a broken heart, way too human from the start. All the years left it torn apart. Hopeless and afraid. Walls I never meant to build. led this Left this prisoner unfulfilled. Freedom called. But even still, it seemed so far away. I was bound by the chains from the wages of my sin. Just when I felt like giving in, mercy came running. Like a prisoner set free. Past all my failures to the point of my need. When the sin that I carried was all that I could see. And when I could not reach Mercy. Mercy. Came running to me. Sometimes I still feel so far. So far from where I really should be. He gently calls to my heart. Just to remind me. Mercy came running. I want you to play it. just at that moment when I couldn't reach mercy mercy came running to me creation, curse, cure but there's one C left for salvation choice He never forces He created you in His image and you alone choose life or death if you confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you for if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you shall be saved for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth he confesses unto salvation for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall shall We make it so hard, and God made it so easy. A, B, C. A, I acknowledge I've sinned, that I've been separated, and my own actions move me away from God. But B, I believe. I believe when Jesus came to that cross, he died for me. And I don't believe he's in a grave. I believe he's been resurrected in the newness of life and ever lives and reigns to make intercession for me. And C, I confess him with my mouth. And when I do A, B, and C, mercy comes running to me. And I'm made new in him. Have you made that decision? Every head bowed for just a moment? When you couldn't reach mercy. He came running to you. When you couldn't reach God, God sent His Son for you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Acknowledge you've sinned. Believe that He died and was resurrected for you. Confess and call upon His name. And all of a sudden, justice, And mercy meet. And righteousness and peace embrace. And you're made a new creature. Right where you're sitting. If you've never believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth and called upon the name of the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. It's not just something we write on a piece of paper and say we believe, it is a living reality. The gospel's not written in stones or parchment, but it's written in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Father, you see where we are. You see us separated, wandering like sheep, no shepherd. And mercy came running. You saw me empty and alone, mercy came running. You saw walls that I'd built. And mercy came running. And right now I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come running. And save and embrace. Right where you're seated, no one, just you and the Lord. All you have to do is confess your sins. Acknowledge Believe. He did all this for you. Call. And you shall be saved. Would you do that right now? Today is your day of salvation. Mercy came running for you. Mercy came in here today. Not for dinner. But to bring living salvation to your heart. Would you pray that prayer, Father? Right now I acknowledge, I admit that I've sinned and been in far countries but I've never been satisfied that I'm empty and broken separated and alone surrounded with people and alone without you. But I believe that when you came to that cross you saw me And you took my sin in your own flesh and nailed it to that cross. I believe you've been resurrected in the newness of life and you ever live to give me life. Abundant, everlasting, eternal. And right now I confess with my lips that you are the Lord of glory and you're the Savior of my soul. And I call upon your name. Save me.